0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. What are you looking for? Okay, so everybody has their magic moment special place, right? The thing that makes you feel centered and whole. For me, it's generally on a train. Going anywhere with my headphones on, watching the world go by. On today's story, Snap producer Shayna Sheeley spoke with Estie Rose. And for Estee, her place is called the Mikvah. Snap judgment.
1: concept of ritual and, and religious ritual. I, I'm serious. I love the concept of mikvah.
2: A mikvah is a Jewish ritual bath, like a small pool. It's tiled, it's beautiful, it's clean,
1: it's with pure rainwater. It's, I'm sure it's chlorinated. <laughs> your whole body has to be immersed and not holding on to anything. So you hold your breath, go under the water and then lift your feet from the floor and open up your fingers.
2: Esty grew up as an ultra-Orthodox Jew in the tight-knit, ultra-Orthodox neighborhood of Borough Park in Brooklyn, where married women go to the mikveh every month.
1: You're supposed to even like sink to open your toes so they're not crunched. And so the water gets basically all over your body and cleanses you.
2: <laughs> the purpose is to cleanse every part of yourself. The soul, spirit, every crevice of your body.
1: You sort of have this hour or two to just like mentally prepare yourself and just to like take care of your body and I love the fact that women are, are stringent
2: and do it every month and and it's just a beautiful concept as a young girl as she only heard of the pure cleansing ritual she knew her ticket to the mikvah was marriage and marriage is really what she wanted more than anything It's like
1: every religious girl's excitement. I was brought up in a very close-knit, closed, sealed community. We went to buy dresses in dress stores that only had modest dresses. Like, I didn't know that there was alternate ways. The clothing stores didn't have men walking in and out of them. And uh, I didn't even look at a boy. It was so taboo. Only when they started talking about dating, you know, does your heart start racing and think, oh, there's something exciting out there that I don't know about.
2: SD was 17 when she started dating Here I am going
1: with all these fabulous and they were all cute guys from nice families and it was like exciting a little testosterone, smelled good, you know <laughs> and it was fun I remember like coming home early from work just so I could, you know, do my hair the way I wanted to I was this cute little beautiful tiny blonde thing every single guy seemed to be so into me on the dates and then the next day like going to my mother, did you hear anything? And she's like, no, no, not yet. It's only one day. Don't worry. And like being really panicked, like for, you know, the next 24 hours and saying, did you hear anything? And one more day it's nothing. Wait. And after the third day, and I said, nothing, huh? Don't worry. There's something better out there for you. And I knew that, that she had spoken to them, obviously, and they turned me down. And I was just like, okay, fine. Let's go. And I, I was, re- I was relatively resilient until I saw it became a pattern. And then I, started being less resilient and more hurt.
2: What Esty didn't know was that her dating life was being sabotaged through no fault of her own. Esty was adopted as a baby, and when her dates asked about her birth parents, Esty's adoptive mom would be insulted and refuse to answer them. So the boys stopped calling, and two years later, she was still single. And I never knew why this was. And then, one day...
1: The matchmaker called my mother said we have what a wonderful match we have for your daughter you know I was 19 at the time 20 he was 28 which was was nine and a half years difference between us
2: was he attractive were you attracted to him he was a really
1: hot guy blonde haired giant blue eyes an older man came with suit and we sat in a hotel lobby and had like coke and I was quite dressed up and coiffed and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Made up. It was more, um, more of an interview. Like he kept on asking me about myself and my life, and uh, it appeared that he really liked what he heard. But I think at that point, I got home and I said, okay, let's see if he calls back.
2: The next day, Estee's mom comes into her room with a big smile on her face. The guy had called and asked for a second date.
1: It was exactly what I wanted. He was good-looking, he was powerful, charismatic, which was nice, because all the boys I dated until then were like little boys, you know, 23-year-old little pishers, you know? <laughs> he was a stockbroker in the Millionaire's Club of Shearson Lehman. I mean, he I was no match for him. He overwhelmed me, in, in a good way, because I wasn't used to that type of power. And after four weeks of that, I got engaged.
2: To prepare for her wedding, her mom and her best friend took her to the mikvah, the ritual bath, for the first time.
1: So they took me to the Syrian mikvah in Flatbush. There was all these glamorous women sitting there waiting to go in. My mother was with me and my best friend was with me. This is like, it's like a rite of passage.
2: Esty had finally found her match. She was really excited about getting married.
1: I think I was more excited about the big party I was going to have. So. I reminded him before the wedding, don't forget, you're going to rent a limousine because that's what everyone did then. You left the wedding in a limousine. I don't care, black, white. Do whatever you feel better. Limousine. He's like, OK, I'll take care of it. Don't worry. So the wedding is over. All the guests are leaving. I'm like, OK, like where's the, I'm thinking where's the, in my head, where's the limo? And he's like, listen, I got something even better. My cousin Avi's going to drive us. Now, I should mention. Avi was in the fish business. (laughs) He did have a lovely car. (laughs) You opened the car door. It was like (laughs) there I am in my gown, feeling beautiful because it's it's a beautiful, it's a wedding gown. And I have to go into a car that smells like fish. Heavy smell of fish. I mean, heavier than I can explain smell of fish, okay? And I, get, I remember getting into the car and, like, being really quiet because I was really shocked. But again, I'm like, look, I'm getting married and I'm excited about it and I'm thankful and
2: I'm grateful. And Esty did what most ultra-Orthodox women do after they get married. She started covering her hair in public. Religious custom forbids married women to show their hair to any man other than their husbands. So Esty went to the store and tried on a bunch of wigs.
1: And they let you try in different colors and different sizes and different shapes. Listen, you have to put your hair in a super tight, tight, tight ponytail or pin it up behind you and smash your hair under not even a layer of hair, but layers and layers of hair. So it is hot and uncomfortable in the summer. It's insane. Uh, In the winter, it's great.
2: And like most women in her community, Esty wears modest clothes. Super long skirts and sleeves down to my elbows and very high necks. All black. As
1: soon as I was married, the first thing on my mind was obviously to have a baby. To have as many children as I can. I mean, the the small families in my community have five, six kids. Esty had eight. So my oldest was Rebecca Simone. And then came along my son, Effie. My next daughter, Diana. Dove. Moses. Aaron. Yisrael. And orally, that's it, right? Did I get that? Is that eight?
2: Yeah. And in some ways, her world was everything she had hoped.
1: I had everything a woman could imagine, including the first cell phone they ever created was, in the, was like in a suitcase. And, but I would have to drag that with me everywhere because I had to be gotten a hold of any time he needed me.
2: Every Saturday on the Jewish Sabbath, Esty says her husband would lock her in a room.
1: And I had to be his, exclusively. If it was, now, we're not just talking sex. We're talking about I had to be his. I even have a, a note that one time the kids wrote, Abba, will you please let Ema out of the room? We really want her. He would, he would back me into corners and yell at me, be like in my face a lot. He made me feel like nothing. I felt like I walked around feeling unattractive, unintelligent, and unwanted, but thankful that he wanted me.
2: Do people in your community, like, see signs or signals?
1: No. So the problem with our community, as much as I thought I think there are amazing things about the community, like as far as handling people that are sick, families that are in need, families that are don't have money, don't have food, it's amazing. But if something is out of the ordinary, they turn a blind eye. Even it came to certain friends of mine and I said, I really think something's wrong with my marriage. Maybe... I need some help. And you know what they all said? We're afraid to get involved. You have a lot of kids. We're afraid to get involved.
2: So Esty bottled it up. And then, out of the blue, her husband decided to move the family to Israel.
1: To make a long story short, we ran away to Israel.
2: So Esty packs up 10 lives. They fly to Israel and find an apartment in a religious neighborhood in Jerusalem called Nof. Without friends and family around, Esty is almost completely isolated.
1: And like, I was not a person. I would get up in the morning, wake all my kids up, dress them all for school, feed them, wipe them, change them, make lunches. She had put on weight and felt bad about herself. Feeling bad about the boredom, feeling bad about feeling fat.
2: So she started looking for an exercise class.
1: And I started searching, like just sitting on my bed with all the papers in front of me and the Harnoff News and the Harnoff Guide. But I was just embarrassed to exercise in front of people when I called this one woman on the phone. Her name was Ruthie Haberfeld. She said, "No, come. It's a very small group, and it's it's we it's in a it's in a bomb shelter in in what in my house, and so it's a really small group of only three or four women. You'll be really comfortable. Don't worry. Just try it." I hung up, and it took me like two or three weeks to call her back again, and her words kept on ringing in my head: "Try. it, It's only a small group."
2: And in Ruthie Haberfeld's bomb shelter, with no windows and just a few other ultra-orthodox women, Esty became obsessed with moving her body.
1: I was a very sweet, cute, adorable religious girl doing all the right things, and all of a sudden I started seeing a six-pack in my abs, and then
2: I started seeing my quads popping out, and I thought, that's hot. (laughs) Esty was so enthusiastic about exercise class that her instructor, Ruthie, suggested she go to bigger classes at the YMCA in Jerusalem. A lot of the classes at the Y are for women only. So religious women, Muslim and Jewish, can take off their head coverings and modest clothes and move freely.
1: So one day on Friday, I organized to go down
2: to this hip-hop class. A hip-hop class. fell in love with the class the first time I was there,
1: got a membership to the Y. uh, Went every day of the week for two hours in the morning, always in the morning, because when the kids went to school.
2: In those classes, Esty shed her long skirt for tiny shorts. It was shiny. It was a a plus.
1: (laughs) At home, I was being made to feel really bad about myself. And I used to go work out, and I felt amazing about myself. How high I could jump, how far I could jump. I, I felt like Superwoman all the time.
2: Esty started shopping for spandex shirts, tights, sports bras.
1: I, I got a brand new pair of sneakers, and we uh, peed on my new brand new Nikes.
2: He peed on your shoes. It was
1: no accident. I think he hated that I exercised and felt good about myself.
2: One day after class, after putting back on her long skirt, firmly attaching her wig, and scurrying home to make dinner, Esty worked up the courage to ask her husband for permission to become an exercise class instructor at the Y.
1: You really, you know you really won't be so good at it. You know you're really not going to do well. You'll just embarrass yourself. you don't have that ability to be a teacher. And he really hammered
2: into me that I would not be able to do it. So I let it go. But she kept going to exercise class, literally the only place she let her hair down. And slowly, she began building her own life outside her role as a wife and mother. And then Esty got news that shook the foundation of her entire world. One of her kids got sick, and the doctor asked for her medical history. But Esty was adopted. She didn't know her family medical history. So she decided to look for her birth parents. She hired someone who tracked down her mom in New York and ordered a DNA test to be sure it was her. The results arrived at her house in an envelope weeks later. And I remember like, I'm gonna sit down
1: (laughs) before I open this. And uh, sat down, you know, breathe easy, whatever it is, this may change your life, you know. Opened it, I was completely shocked.
2: Esty's birth mother wasn't Jewish.
1: I saw she was my mother and it was like, okay, you're not Jewish. And according to Jewish law, neither were her eight kids. All of a sudden, everything was quite heavy and like, oh my gosh, this is all my connections in life. Everything I've learned in life, the way I deal with people, the people I deal with, the schools I went to. I don't belong to this thing that I thought, this giant thing I thought I belonged to.
0: Oh, Snappers, this story is far from over Because what do you do when you are not who you think you are? When snap Judgment continues, stay tuned Welcome back to Snap Judgment Now, when last we left Esty, she had just found peace in her body But she's got trouble in her soul
1: I don't belong to this thing that I thought, it this giant thing I thought I belonged to. It's a lonely feeling. Oh my God, I'm not Jewish.
2: This is what Esty's parents had been avoiding and why, as a teenager, boy after boy after boy walked away from her. They didn't have proof she was Jewish because she wasn't Jewish. And when she told her husband, he freaked out. Even though she's lived her entire life as a religious Jew, he tells her.
1: "If I didn't convert within three days. He was going to take my children away from me.
2: Usually, there are a lot of steps to converting to Judaism, a lot of studying. But the rabbi says Esti and her kids can fast forward to the last step a ritual cleanse in the mikveh. Esti prepares her body for cleansing, like she's used to. All my makeup had
1: to be taken off, all my nail polish I had to cut my nails, comb my hair through. The mikveh
2: lady, a woman who sits at the side of the pool to watch you dunk. Hands Esty a white sheet. I'm like,
1: what do I need that for? She says, I put it on you.
2: I'm like, why?
1: She goes, you have to put it on you for when the rabbis come in. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> Don't. What do you mean? She's like, the rabbi's going to come and watch you dunk in the water. I'm like, why?
2: No one told Esti that her conversion had to be witnessed by rabbis. Men. So I take the sheet and I put the sheet on me. But now, how do I feel? I'm standing in the
1: water and I have the thing over my head and I've had these four men shuffling behind me. And I, I, I can't say, should I go forward in the water? Should I go back? I, where do I stand? And I, you know what? I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. I was thinking, go here, go, move. And I'm like, Freaking out! I'm literally freaking out. I've never freaked out in my entire life. Like I didn't say anything. My brain was freaking out. Over, I had the sheet over my head, and they only see me from the back. I could deal with this. Okay, fine. They go, no, you have to turn your face so we can see it's you. So I understand. So I I, I understand they have to make sure it's not some some other lady in mikvah. I get that. So in all my mass discomfort, and I'm clutching the sheet across my chest because I'm naked, and I turn around and and they see my face and they're murmuring and talking to each other and they say um could i please put down the top of my head so i could see my hair now i'm choking up thinking about it you have to you have to understand that i had been married 20 years i had never shown my hair to another man except for my husband for 20 years why could four men see my hair like that in the most of vulnerable positions that a woman could be in, stark naked in the middle of 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 a pool of a thing of water with four men dressed in long black coats and hats and things and beards and what? How could that be right? How could it be right? I know I was crying because it was just wrong. It felt so bad. And they said, okay, okay, you can turn around and you can dunk yourself. And I dunked whatever they told me to dunk. And they said to me, oh, make sure with dunking, they ask you make sure that you, this is not forced. This is all, you're doing it not forced. And um, I said, and I, "I said basically, I'm not forced. And I did feel like I was being forced. I said, basically not. Basically, I'm doing this of my own free will because I want my children.
2: What is your explanation of what happened? Like, what was that about?
1: Very simple. Uh, according to Jewish law, I was not a Jew. If I'm, if I'm not a Jew, I can show them my hair. That's where the religious people lost me. <laughs> because I was living as a, as a religious woman. If they would have told me to, to, to belly flop into the mikveh, it wouldn't have been as absurd as they told me to expose my hair.
2: To Esty, this feels like a total betrayal. As I dunked each
1: time, I said just don't accept this. I, I, okay, so I, I didn't stop carving my hair that day, but I did it slowly, 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 but I just knew that was it. That's where my faith was sh- shaken, shook, <laughs> and uh, it took me a while to get it
2: back. Esty went home, back to the same life, taking care of the kids, escaping to exercise class, but something inside changed. One day, at the Y, as she was changing back into her skirt and long sleeves, one of the instructors asked her. She's like,
1: I don't get it. Why aren't you an instructor? I, I don't get it. And I said, I'm not allowed to be. And she's like, what the f-? She said, do you hear what you're saying? You're not allowed to be an instructor? Who can tell you what you're allowed to be? And like all of a sudden, you hear it in someone else's mouth, and you, it sounds ludicrous all of a sudden. But that's the point where, to me, all the things that I was tolerating with a big smile and said, okay, it'll be better tomorrow. All of a sudden, it didn't feel like it would be better tomorrow.
2: Esty decided that not only would she become an instructor, but that she'd ask her husband to leave.
1: I was clenching my fist saying, oh, just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it. I walked over to him and I said, you have to leave the house. You just have to leave the house. Really? You're telling me to leave? You're telling me to leave? I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm asking you nicely. Will you please leave the house? It's time for you to go. And, and it was very hard for me to say, You I was not the person I am today, I wasn't strong, I was meek. I was frightened of
2: him, physically frightened of him, psychologically frightened of him. He walked out of the house and left Esty with no money. Women from exercise class would stop by and drop off boxes of food for the kids. They collected money so Esty could pay her gas bill.
1: You cannot do, how can a person with eight children get divorced without someone holding their hand?
2: And even though things got really bad, Esty trained to be an exercise instructor. Her signature class, Zumba.
1: What's that?
0: Jump!
2: I go by my gut my gut feeling, like this makes me feel like
1: I should shimmy. This makes me feel like I should whip my hair around. This makes me feel like I have to kick. And I I listen to a song like, okay, not a hundred times, but I listen to a song like eight, 10, 12, 15 times before I choreograph it. This is probably, take it back. This is probably one of the sexiest dances I ever choreographed and it's super sexy and super athletic. I'm a boss, I'm a boss, I'm a leader of the past. So I hate to use the word Zumba because it's not Zumba, okay? It, it's my classes.
2: Zumba is Latino and I barely use it. I make my own choreographies. I wish we could end the story here and say Esti's classes simply save her from an oppressive marriage and she dances her way to happily independent. But from here, Esti's Zumba classes become a kind of double-edged sword. Her husband hires detectives to follow her into Zumba, and when she shows up for the divorce proceedings, there are pictures of her dancing around in class.
1: He took a picture of me hugging and kissing every single person I know. and basically said I was having affairs with all of them. I'm a whore. I am muznachat betipul which means I neglect the care of my children. They were just talking about taking my children away from me.
2: On the Jewish festival Purim, a day when people typically dress up in crazy outfits, Esty dressed up for her Zumba class. The song
1: was Lady Gaga, so I put on bright pink hair or whatever. But every song had its own thing. Now, there was one song by Pitbull that uh, called Levante. That starts, ay, 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 yo, yo, yo. And it sounds really Hasidic the first few seconds. How does the the chorus go? It says, ay, 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 yo, yo, yo. Get up, get up, levantante, everybody get up. It has a little little Hasidic vibe to it. (laughs) It's a great song. So I bought in the store in Harnov, across the street from my house, this cute little tiny kova Hasidi. (laughs) little like that fur, those little fur Hasidic hats. When it, when it came, when as soon as the song started, I put it on and I danced. Now, <laughs> to my chagrin, there was a private detective in the classroom who took pictures of me.
2: These fur hats are normally only worn by religious men. And the
1: next day there was an emergency call to the Beit Din, to the rabbinic court. And what was the whole emergency that I am, uh, what's doing? I'm against the Torah and I dance around half naked with a Kova Hasidi on my head. (laughs) And there were pictures to prove it. (laughs) I
2: stop Esty here because she's laughing. And it's a funny story, but the stakes were high. Her husband wanted custody of the kids and spent thousands of dollars on lawyers, psychologists, and detectives. He launched a campaign to prove that she was unfit to raise her kids. This Kova Hasidi pitbull dancing was a risk, but she kept pushing the limits. One day, after she leaves exercise class at the YMCA, she decides to take off her modest clothes. I remember, like, taking off my T-shirt,
1: my long sleeve T-shirt, because it was so hot outside. And I was wearing, I don't know, some kind of tank top. And I felt the heat of the air on my skin. And then it started raining. And I promise you, this is true. If I would have cued it, it couldn't have worked better. Down the street is a person in their car and singing that song, feel the rain on your skin, no one else will feel it for you. And I burst out crying. And it was such a moment for me, I'll never forget it.
2: Esty could have stayed in her long sleeves and long skirt until after the battle for custody. She could have put Zumba entirely on the back burner. But Zumba and her divorce came hand in hand. Esti's entire life had been built around religion, her community, divine purpose, connection to something bigger, the way she showed up in her body. Esti lost all that in the mikvah when she lost her trust in the rabbis. And she found it in Zumba. Not just in the community, but through the actual physical act of Zumba. So this is
1: one of the reasons I love
2: teaching my class, and I'm
1: sure you've heard me say
2: this. Shayna is like, it's your
1: body, touch it. You're allowed to. It's yours, touch it. I just love the concept of giving that body awareness and how to move your hips and how to move and how to feel feel sexy. I like the fact that people, that girls who without the most perfect bodies can come and just wear their bra and their pants and feel great about themselves and feel sexy and look at themselves in the mirror and feel amazing that's the biggest gift i can give somebody yeah i mean it's work that is it's again here we go it's god's work <laughs> but it is take it back double half the class i'm shouting double hips 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 because it's all about the hip which is very sexy so i think twerking is a particularly sexy move if it's a twerk in the air a twerk with the hands on the knees twerk with your
2: arms on the ground just twerk that ass and you feel good ST was my zumba teacher I went to her class for about a year in Jerusalem and I knew there was something special about it when a Meghan Trainor song came on and we all lined up in front of the mirror, patting our bodies down from face to breast to stomach to thighs and back up again to the beat of the music. My favorite move from class is when Esty gets in a low squat, spreads her legs wide open, and slaps the inside of her thighs while she shimmies towards the mirror. I was never able to get that move, but it didn't matter. There was something almost sacred about being in a room of, like, 20 women. Some who left their wigs and hijabs resting on hangers in the locker room. Some still in their long skirts over their leggings. And others, like me, who came from outside the Y in just t-shirts and spandex. All of us, though, shaking and shimmying and swinging our hips, trying to feel sexy and totally in our bodies.
1: Everyone please help!
2: Before I even knew your story like it was really powerful for me. like I have cried during class.
1: okay so I've had many I, I, you're not the first person. There's something about that release of movement and release of emotion at the same time. without the release of, of movement, you can't have a full release of emotions. It's such a big deal when you take it off take it off guys. I just feel I will take do anything to off. make my class work That's- harder. I will make any face, I will do any motion, I will do things that are so exaggerated to get people to give me a little bit of motion, when I know someone just needs to give me that shake, that shimmy, and they can't do it, I will shimmy in a disturbing manner in front of them.
2: (laughs) And what does it feel like when you're doing that? It
1: feels like power, it feels like I have power and I have power to empower. That's exactly what it feels like. A single single double. Feeling new. I that. The chick is over you. Once you here, take it back.
2: After four years in court, Esty got divorced. She has shared custody of her kids, about half of whom still identify as ultra Orthodox. She keeps a kosher home for them. One of them refuses to talk to her he thinks she made the wrong decision. Today, Esty's 52. Can you tell me what you're wearing today? I'm wearing amazing,
1: sexy, (laughs) camouflage leggings (laughs) and amazing, sexy Zumba bra, (laughs) padded, of course. My hair's down.
2: She still teaches Zumba in Jerusalem. And recently, Esti decided that she needed to go back to the mikvah.
1: I hate to, I can't believe I'm saying this. I think religion
2: is necessary in everyone's life. I really think it is. And, uh, and look at me, and look at me, and I'm saying this, okay? A friend from exercise class at the Y drove her there and waited outside.
1: Combed out my hair, got undressed, walked to the edge of the mikvah, and I, st- I just stood there looking at the water, I meditated looking at the water. I just wanted to, felt it was like, I think I cleaned my brain. And I went in, dunked. And I definitely felt happy. It was a happy feeling. That's for sure, because now I'm thinking about it, and I feel like my cheeks, like the apples in my cheeks, I feel it when I'm thinking it. And I felt it was the right thing to do.
2: Did you feel, like, Jewish again? <laughs> like, you
1: know? I, I, I think what I felt or what I feel is that I belong to something bigger than myself. I belong to something larger. Foodie, take it out. Pretty take it out. Can you guys do this side to side? Sexy. Ah. Push. Show me. Hop, hop, up, up, up. Four, four, three, two. Pop that chest. Pop it, pop it. Again, four, hop. And side to side. Pop that chest. Let's go. Thank you. Double jump.
0: Love and thanks to Estee Rose for sharing her story. And if you can't make it to Estee's Zumba class in Jerusalem, check out producer Shana Sheely's Spotify playlist, Zumba Estee, to channel Estee's tunes. Get it right now at snapjudgment.org. Additional thanks to the Jerusalem International YMCA and the DeRote Foundation. The original score was by Renzo Gorio, and that story was produced by Shana Sheely. Now then. If you're listening to the podcast, don't hog all the Snap goodness for yourself. Let them know. Tell folks, subscribe to Snap Storytelling at SnapJudgment.org. And yes, Snap Judgment Live is hitting the road. The world's top storytellers backed by the beats of Bell's Atlas, Nashville, St. Louis, Kalamazoo. That's a real place. I'm telling you, get tickets at SnapJudgment.org. And even though this is not the news... No is of news. In fact, you could go to dance class and discover that wait a minute, that that that's not dance, and there doesn't seem to be any class, and you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is W N Y C.